cue intro music. What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into episode 77, Lucky Sevens of the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about dynasty fantasy football. I'm your host, Tarek Angry T. Benchuia. With me today for the second show in a row, a one-on-one with Mr. Trey Cryan. What's going on, man? Good evening, listeners. How's it going, Tark? How you been, dude? I am I am doing good, man. Uh, so yeah, I was out of the country last week, like uh, like we said on the last episode. I went to Portugal, uh, which Ooh, was very really nice. cool. Very nice. Yeah, Lisbon mostly, very beautiful city, topographically and architecturally. Uh, did some hikes, you know, ate some pastries saw some music. Uh, it was, it was a good time, man. So quick pre-Christmas trip, uh, now kind of getting primed for spending the holidays with family, spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on groceries and booze, um, so that we can have a very jolly time. How, how are you, man? I'm, I'm hanging in there. I'm, I'm ready for uh, the holidays to start as well. Kind of wind things down with the, uh, uh, work year here and uh, just get ready to uh, kind of reset for 2023. So got some family coming in town from Texas. They get in tomorrow evening. So looking forward to hosting Christmas at home this year. Don't have to deal with traveling personally. So definitely thankful for that. And yeah, man, we missed you last week. And while you were gone, uh, nothing really exciting happened at all in the NFL universe or dynasty football land. So I think we can wrap up this show pretty quick here. Yeah, I heard they just took football off for the week. Yes. Sometimes that happens, you know, like TLG, the NFL just will take off. But yeah. Yeah. Sporadically. uh, Obviously, lots of football to talk about. So we're excited to get into this episode. Um, We're going to kind of do what we did last time. Very similar kind of talk, you know, broader dynasty strategy and and a little bit about rules in the first half. Uh, So that should be interesting. And then in the second half, you know, get into some of the headlines coming out of week 15 and kind of December in general uh, in terms of some dynasty players, uh, some dynasty happenings uh, over the last few weeks. So excited to get into it. Uh, Trey, let's kick off this first half. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. Let's jump right in. All right. So in this first half, uh, we're going to talk about a few things. First, trade deadlines. So in your dynasty league, Most dynasty leagues probably have a trade deadline, but every year around this time, dynasty Twitter becomes ablaze with a furious debate that's almost as controversial as the Gabriel Davis Wars of spring summer 2022. Almost. Uh, And and that debate is, should dynasty leagues have a trade deadline? Trey, I, I don't really have like a firm stance on this. I'm in both kinds of leagues where some of them have a trade deadline. Some of them have like a playoff moratorium. Some of them don't have trade deadlines. And I kind of enjoy things about both methods. But I think since it's such a topic of conversation and and some of our listeners may only be in leagues with deadlines um, and they kind of, you know, are interested in what would a, non, a non-deadline league look like. Let's kind of open up the conversation. What are some of the pros and cons of a trade deadline? Do you have kind of a, a specific preference in your leagues? So like you, I play in leagues that have both of the different rules, right? With the trade deadline and without. And personally, I lean a little bit more to anti-trade deadline. So without. Okay. Uh, but, you know, also like you, I don't know if I feel super, super strongly either way. Like, because I see the reasons, you know, for and against here. So not having a trade deadline in place, like having that freedom through the playoffs, there's a couple of immediate benefits, right? So if you're a contender and you, you know, have a need that comes up suddenly, unexpectedly during a playoff run, not having a trade deadline in place clearly is going to give you that opportunity to trade away some bench depth and address that need in real time. And, and 
some people would say, you know, that's kind of like playing with training wheels or whatever, you know, but I mean, it also just makes for a more competitive final playoff run between, you know, the best teams in the league. So you're really, you know, going to figure out who the best of the best is, right? Yeah. And, and the counterpoint, quick counterpoint to like some would say that's playing with training wheels is like, obviously, you're still making decisions with real ramifications, right? So, right. you know, that other people would argue that it makes it even more complex and nuanced of a league if you're, if you're able to trade, you know, post playoffs beginning. And, and not only are there real ramifications for trading away that bench depth, those non-playoff teams, they're able to capitalize on your immediate mm-hmm. need, right? So they're, that means those non-playoff teams, they're getting a nice little premium uh, you know, they're selling off like pieces that they may not otherwise be able to trade because there's more liquidity in the market, right? Those win now pieces are more valuable than they're ever going to be any other time of the year. And they're able to get a nice premium above, you know, quote unquote market value for those pieces than they would otherwise, right? If if the right. trade deadline was in place for that league. So some obvious benefits there, I think, you know, seeing the other side of it. So why you would want to have the trade deadline in place, like this is something that we talked about a little bit in the group chat, but it, when you get rid of the trade deadline, it kind of builds this perverse incentive to just go all in for your playoff run and then orphan the team at the end of the year. Right. So you just basically yeah. trade away all of your future value to maximize your opportunity to win now. And, you know, that could be an issue depending on, you know, maybe you're in a league with like a lot of people you don't know super well, right? You're, there's no like guarantee of like the long-term viability of the league. But I think there's like some pretty easy countermeasures that you can put in place as a commissioner to address that, right? Like, you know, one of the leagues that I'm in, if you want to trade away a future first round pick, you've got to tr- um, put in your buy-in to league safe for, you know, up to that year that you want to trade away, right? So if I want to trade away a 2024 pick, then I've got to put in two years of buy-ins to trade away that first rounder. So I think that's a good way to sort of countermeasure against somebody, you know, going all in and orphaning, but at the same time, it's not a perfect system, right? Like, and if somebody's already done that leading up to the playoffs, then that's not going to like, you know, cause them to, you know, react any differently during the playoff run. Right. Right. Yeah. I I mean, I think that one, that may be a little bit of an edge case scenario, right? In terms of people true selling off all their future assets and then orphaning. I mean, I think sometimes we live in a little bit of a playoff or excuse me, a little bit of a dynasty Twitter bubble in which there's like the, the, the amount of people who have 50 plus leagues is like overrepresented to where it's kind of much less skin off their back to, to, you know, pump and dump. But, you know, I, I think it's a real concern, right? Like, I, I think, like, orphaning in Dynasty, which basically means you you dump your team after you sell off all the future assets. Right. I think that that happens. But I think in, in most Dynasty leagues, when you're playing with your friends, you know, even the teams that do pump and dump, and we, we've had a couple in, in our, like, home league, you know, they're, they're not going to like back out of a dynasty commitment. Right. So I don't think is that is as much of a concern as it maybe seems on dynasty Twitter, but like, I think I I was team no deadline. Like I leaned with you for a while. I was like very staunchly no deadline. Um, because I think there's real merit to the argument that you kind of rehearsed here that if a contender wants to overpay for win now assets, and a rebuilder can take advantage of that kind of hyper efficient price, then I think it can overall improve like the long term balance of the league, right? So if you have a contender who's really good that needs to offload depth in order to kind of make their playoff run even stronger, that means rebuilders can get their rebuilders. So they're losing games, right? So if they can build up the value of their teams even more efficiently and effectively, then that can really help long-term balance. And in general, I think the, the base level rule is that more trade activity in any given league is the sign of a healthy league. Yeah. So that those are the big arguments for the deadline. Okay. So I, I do see like in some leagues that don't have a deadline that there is this wild west effect, right? 
I, I am in some leagues that don't have a deadline that's very tame. Like TLG3, we don't have a deadline in that league. It's a 14-team league. It has been very calm, right? There's other leagues where it can get fucking wild. Like People will just start overpaying and overpaying and overpaying. And it kind of fucks up the market price so royally. Like The market itself gets so distorted that there's really no way for a contender to make actually efficient moves or at least like borderline efficient moves during this time. And so for me, like the most convincing argument for a trade deadline comes down to my desire for the asset market to remain stable. Like, right. So what you're, so what you're saying is, you know, by not having the trade deadline and giving contenders the opportunity to transact, address those needs as they're going on their playoff run, the prices that they end up paying are so much higher than they would be otherwise that like it just turns into even more so like negative EV moves for them to transact in that sort of dynasty league environment. And if it happens enough times, then I think it can have a negative effect on the overall health of the league. I mean, I think but that's maybe that's a bit league. of an exaggeration. That's not every league, but I, I will say like, it can also have residual effects after the playoffs, right? Because when when markets get set through specific trades, it can actually, if it was such a severe overpay, it can actually like limit the liquidity of assets even past the playoffs. Okay. Like I, I just think for me, it's like almost like a, a hyper controlled, like communistic perspective where I just want a stable market you know like i just i want to be able to look at the market indicators that we have be it keep trade cut expert consensus rankings etc and i want to be able to say okay based on this i should be able to make reasonable moves in my league and when the market gets so out of whack because of consistent overpays in a no deadline league that gets fucked up and you're your your micro market in that particular league becomes so idiosyncratic that you can't really like operate efficiently or effectively based on the macro market and doing that is my biggest like passion in dynasty essentially so the inability to do that really like kind of makes me uncomfortable well we were we were just talking about you know the long-term health of the league and avoiding people orphaning a team and and doing that pump and dump strategy. And essentially what you're saying is not having a trade deadline could throw off the dynamics of your trade market, like so out of whack that essentially that is like more negative to the long-term health of the league than otherwise. But I don't know. I mean, again, I think you could argue that's potentially an edge case scenario, right? Because I'm in that league with you and I know exactly what yeah, situation you're talking about. Shout out to the breakout boys. Yeah, y'all. It's the wild, y'all. wild west that, over there. That yeah. market is uh, is out of whack right now. <laughs> but it's fun, man. It's fun. And, and that that's said, what I was going to say, though, Trey, is I'm not going to lie. It's fun. Yeah. Right. Like when those crazy trades go down during the playoffs, it is fun. So you kind of outweigh that really nerdy, like economic perspective of I want a stable asset market to like, okay, we're having fun here. Right. And and so let's shout out Jacob Sanderson, who we, you know, quote on the pod, uh, almost on a weekly basis here. Like there's something about, uh, um, eliminating the tread trade deadline that kind of goes against the spirit of dynasty fantasy football, right? Because really we're supposed to be making these long-term bets and then, you know, living with the consequences, right? And yeah. when you're getting in this sort of environment where there's no trade deadline in place and everybody's just like maxing out for the playoffs, it just becomes such, such short term thinking. And you're eliminating a lot of that downside risk potentially, um, you know, if it's like such a plus EV move for you to add on that win now piece for you to go make your title run. I don't know. I I kind of I see where he's coming from with that argument. Like he laid that out much better than I just did on Twitter. But I think there's yeah. also just the counterpoint of no matter what in Dynasty, if you've got the same, you know, 12, 14, however many people coming back each year, you're always going to be balancing short term and long term decision making, regardless of whether or not you've got the trade deadline in place. So I, I say that I lean a little bit to getting rid of it, but um I don't know. I see the value in it too. And it's kind of a nice thing to have to 
you know, have that line in the sand for people to, you know, stock up for the playoffs before the actual playoffs start. Yeah. I mean, there's strategy to, to both right. sides, right. I would say. I, the, the other thing I want to shout out really quickly is when this debate unfolds on Twitter, there's always the reply guys that are like, the NFL has a trade deadline, so Dynasty League should have a trade deadline. <laughs> That's entirely unconvincing. To yeah. Me. Like, yeah. This, we're, you do not own the New York Giants. You know, you are playing Dynasty fantasy football. We have tight end premiums and all this other whack shit that we do to make this game interesting. Um, that's not anything like owning an NFL franchise. No. So we're, we're, we're degenerate gamblers here, guys. Emphasis on the fantasy part of fantasy football. All right. Sounds good. Uh, all right. So moving on, Trey, uh, kind of to our second part of this first half, I kind of wanted to talk about teams who just got eliminated in the quarterfinals, right? Because you know, bear with me as I do some extremely basic math. Like I'm a humanities guy, Trey. So, you know, don't, don't track this too closely. As, but, as an engineer, I'll go easy on you. Okay. Essentially, you know, if you're a contender, let's say you you build a really good contender in your dynasty league. You can maybe expect us like on a week to week basis, your best contenders to carry like a 75% chance of winning against the other best teams in your league. Sure, right? best case. Sure. So if you build like a really great team. So once you get to the playoffs, even if you're giving yourself an aggressive 70 to 75% chance of winning each matchup, that means you have a less than 50% chance of winning three matchups and then getting into you know the championship, right? Yep. So... Basically, no matter what, in your best case scenario, in your best league, you still have a sub 50% chance of winning the championship. So I, I wanted to bring that up because I, I feel like we talk about contenders and rebuilders every single episode. It's like, okay, if you're a contender, do this. If you're a rebuilder, do this. But I don't think we recognize enough that most contenders will end up losing in the playoffs. That's so right. I, I think what I want to ask is, for those people right now that are feeling the burn of having just lost in the quarterfinals, or maybe, you know, they have a guy like Jalen Hurts or Jonathan Taylor, and they somehow made it through the quarterfinals, but they face a really big uphill battle in the semifinals, and maybe they get kicked out. What is the best way to kind of approach the end of the regular season, the NFL playoffs, and kind of the early offseason as a failed contender? a contender that just just came up short from getting that championship. So so I did think about this question before we got on tonight, and it wasn't just because I was booted from the uh, first round of the playoffs on a couple of my uh, Lamar Jackson teams. So uh, as I was looking my wounds this week, I was kind of thinking about how to start approaching the offseason here for these failed contenders. So, you know, some of this is going to be like very basic bread and butter, like how to play dynasty, but I still think it's worthwhile, you know, talking through. So number one, you know, as always, you've got to reassess your roster, right? So what I like doing is I like going to a future week in the sleeper app and I like just filling out what I think my starters are going to look like for next year. Right. And I will be a little bit more critical than usual. Right. So like Darius Slayton, even if I've, I've been using them as a starter the last like two weeks of this season, that's not somebody I want to go into week one relying on as my wide receiver two or wide receiver three, you know? So like you lay out what that starting roster looks like and you try to identify, you know, where are your gaps, where are your positions of strength? And then you look at your draft picks, right? Like where in the, the rookie draft are you going to end up? And then you got to be honest with yourself, right? Like, is this a legitimate contender going into next year? Uh, because remember you just got kicked out of the playoffs. So you might not be as strong a contender as you thought you were, right? So be honest with yourself. And if it's not, you know, do you have enough depth on your roster in terms of draft picks or, you know, uh, rosterable players where you can go and address some of those holes? So I think starting out with a good, honest assessment is critical. And then you can get into setting your strategy, identifying who are your sales, who are your trade targets, you know, remember the sort of market dynamics that happen every single year in terms of vets and draft picks, right? And then lastly, most importantly, I think, I and you kind of taught me this over the years, you got to act quick too, right? Like I think the quicker you act, 
you can take advantage of uh, moving before maybe the rest of your league mates uh, sort of adjust to the offseason and adjust away from the recency bias of the most recent season that just wrapped up. So the quicker you can shift your thinking to the next year and away from 2022, the more of an edge you can get on trading quickly with some of your league mates. So reassess your roster, kind of set your strategy and then act quickly. Yeah, that's those those are good points. I I think to that last point, it's like you, you kind of have to, once you set your strategy, you act quickly so that you're kind of setting the tone for the league rather than reacting to somebody else, right? You're the person zigging that everybody else has to zag to. Right. And because zagging puts you, it pigeonholes you, right? If you have to react to another person's strategy, it means that there's really, there's a limited number of routes that you can take in order to kind of, you know, maximize efficiency in that game theory type of, you know, dynamic because it, right? because it is a zero sum game, right? There's only a yeah. limited number of assets that are available to trade. And as soon as you miss out on the opportunity to buy low on Jonathan Taylor, for example, somebody else has already done that. Right. And I think there's, there's a couple of different ways that you can do it. Like one, say you're a contender that just got kicked out of the playoffs. You have a very good roster that's very deep, but you don't have a lot of draft picks, right? We kind of talked about this last time in um, kind of my process adjustment is I, I want to be better at having a little bit of a thinner bench, but a lot of draft picks on my contenders. But I have a lot of contenders that don't have a lot of draft picks. So what I've done in the past, and I think this has been a really, really good strategy for me in these situations is buying back years, right? Yeah. So going and selling like an AJ Brown for a Chris Olave and a third or something like that, you know, selling a Tyreek Hill and getting a Drake London plus back, right? Selling a Mark Andrews and getting like Greg Dulcich and a first, right? You know, so buying years back without, even if like, those 2023 and 2024 draft picks are going to be kind of prohibitively expensive based on the calendar. I think it's still pretty easy sometimes over the off season to just buy those years back and create a more sustainable contending roster. I've done that before. It's helped me continue to have really strong contenders year over year in leagues where I kind of leveraged my draft picks a little too much. Yeah, and the thing I like about that is is essentially you're you're getting back into the rookie draft where maybe you were a little bit depleted on your draft capital beforehand. And the reason why that's so important is just look at what's happened in the rookie draft over the last, you know, even this just this season, right? Like there have been some very big hits that happened this year and are going to continue to happen every year. It's just one of the most valuable opportunities that we have to increase the overall uh, value of your roster, right? Because if you hit on a first round receiver in your rookie draft, if you find the next Garrett Wilson, the next Chris Olave, go back a couple years, the next, you know, Jamar Chase, right? Like that is a huge value gain for your roster that you're not able to get when you, you know, take yourself out of the rookie draft, right? So sometimes I think, you know, we go back and forth in dynasty about, you know, don't put too much importance on the rookie draft or, you know, like don't overvalue your rookie picks. But at the end of the day, it, when you look at opportunities to increase the overall value of your roster, it's one of the you know most efficient ways that you really can, um, you know, improve that overall value. And if you are a team that just, you know, lost out on the playoffs, you're, you kind of by definition have to increase the overall value of your roster if you want to end up at, you know, at the top of the, you know, contending pool for next season. The other thing here. So just to kind of, you know, remind the listener what we're talking about teams that just got eliminated from the playoffs. Like what is the next step, you know, after you have a drink and, and you mourn the loss. One thing I want to warn those teams against is you thinking that, okay, I just lost this playoff matchup because I didn't have a good enough running back three. So this season, my goal is to get a good enough running back three. That is not how you want to be thinking. I, I, 
I I want to warn against that. I want to warn against being too roster construction oriented yeah, right now. Agreed. And and thinking that you need to fill out your wide receiver three, you need to fill out your second bench spot, you need to make sure that that third quarterback in your super flex league is tightened up. You do not have to do that until ten months from now, right? You early in the off season, your primary goal should be maximizing and building the value of your roster, right? And the ways to do that is by following the kind of general market trends and understanding that draft picks will only get more expensive as we get into the off season. Veteran players will get cheaper, right? So, and taking advantage of that when, you know, those fluctuations in price get a little bit too out of whack and you can kind of gain back some value on those hyper cheap assets or hyper expensive assets, right? So, We've said this a few times on the show throughout our 77 episodes, especially early in the offseason. Don't worry about too much positional roster construction. Focus on building roster value. Right, right. And when I talk about, you know, looking at your starting roster and trying to figure out where those gaps are, a big piece of that puzzle isn't necessarily about filling those gaps, but it's like also identifying those areas of strength, right? Because then that tells you, okay, these are positions that I can sell, right? Because my roster can handle it. And identifying those guys that you're willing to sell on your roster because maybe it's a position of depth for you or maybe they're just overvalued at the moment, right? Because you've got to go through your valuations, right? And compare that to, you know, our market data, like keep trade cut or whatever, you know, publicly available data that you use. Identifying those sales is a great uh, place to start to figure out where you want to start transacting, right? Right. And and act acting quickly, right? The kind of third part of your advice there. Sometimes acting quickly can precisely mean holding on and knowing that, you know, this particular asset is going to rise in value, right? A Chris Olave, right? That dude's going to, he's going to explode in value this off season after people digest what he did. Oh, Garrett right? Wilson too. Right. You know, and then maybe if Chris Olave gets to a point where you can add a tiny bit to him to get a Jamar chase, then you do that, Right. But you, for that, that kind of acting quickly actually requires patience, right? So acting quickly doesn't always necessarily mean pulling the trigger immediately. Right, 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 right. right. All right, mic check. It is halftime. Okay, so good news coming into halftime this week. We made money last week uh, by Woo. hitting three games and pushing one. So... This means that we are officially profitable on TLG halftimes in every season since we started the show. Uh, that's only two seasons, but still very cool. Two you know, for two, we have, baby. We have, we have yet to not be profitable as a podcast picking game lines. So let's go. Trey, we got a few more weeks to try to take it from profitable to Christmas bonus. So let's get it. Uh, what are your what is your pick? And go ahead and give us Mitch's pick for halftime. All right. I'm going going to uh to host a Brock party this uh a Brock Purdy this week. <laughs> Rocked up Brock. San Francisco is a seven and a half point favorite at home against the Washington communists. Uh so mm. that defense in San Francisco is very, very good. Uh the offensive talent around Purdy definitely good enough to score against Washington and cover seven, seven and a half. I think they could cover 10 at home. Give me Sandy Franny. And you said Mitch's pick Mitch is going with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers six point favorites at Arizona. He thinks Arizona is in shambles right now with the Kyler Murray injury. And I guess now the Colt McCoy injury as well. So uh, yeah, he's going with the bucks as road favorites there. All right. Sounds good. So two favorites out of Trey and Mitch, San Francisco and Tampa Bay. My pick, I'm going with the Jacksonville Jaguars at MetLife against the New Jersey Jets. Jags coming off a very impressive win against our Cowboys in overtime. I think, you know, I think the Jaguars are looking really good this year. Like Trey, Trevor Lawrence is playing really well. They've got a really nice stable of weapons in Evan Ingram and Zay Jones and Christian Kirk. Wow, I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, but yeah, right. they're they're looking really impressive. And I think the Jets, they have a good defense. 
kind of juries out on if it's going to be Mike White or Zach Wilson, but uh, either way, I think one and a half points for the Jags here is 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 pretty. It's it's a pretty slim line for how much better I think the Jags are playing than the Jets right now. And then John, our fourth uh, musketeer here, he's got Detroit minus two and a half at Carolina. So four favorites on our halftime slate this week. Detroit, arguably the hottest team in the league right now, fighting for their playoff lives against uh, Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, you know, it's going to be cold in Carolina. It's going to be cold in New Jersey, too, this weekend. So those games could be interesting. They could be close ones. But uh, I like the road favorites. Let's do it. Let's uh, let's get uh, two in a row here. Let's get two in a row here. So just to recap, Trey's got San Francisco minus seven and a half against the Washington Manders. Mitch has got Tampa Bay Buccaneers minus six at Arizona. I'm going with the Jacksonville Jaguars minus one and a half at New Jersey. And John's got Detroit minus two and a half at the Carolina Panthers. I will go ahead and put a parlay down here in Illinois on those four picks and we'll make some money. All right, Trey, let's kick off the second half. And we're going to talk about week 15 loosely, you know, the last couple weeks or so of football about five topics that came out of the slate that um, are particularly interesting and we want to talk about for Dynasty. So let's get into it. First up, Jalen Hurts. Uh, I don't know how we've gone like 35 minutes into this podcast without referencing the Jalen Hurts injury because that has to be one of the most rostered players in semifinal matchups this week, given his win rate at cost. Like, you got him at an efficient price in the preseason, and he killed it. He's QB1 or QB2, depending on your scoring format. His status is still up in the air, but this is causing some ripple effects in Dynasty Leagues, especially ones that don't have that aforementioned trade deadline. So, Trey, digest this news. I mean, how are you feeling about Jalen Hurts as a Dynasty asset in the wake of this injury? And you know, if you're in a non-trade deadline league, are you looking to make any kind of move here? So Jalen Hurts clearly proven the doubters wrong this year, having an MVP caliber season by like any metric, any way you want to split it. He's been a top 10 passer this year and far and away the number one rushing quarterback on the season. So all of that, as you said, has been good for fantasy QB one in most scoring formats. He's only 24 years old, so he's going to be good for a long time. This one definitely hurts. Uh, but in the short term, uh, I do have him on uh, one of my playoff teams remaining in our TLG show league. He's my QB one, and I'm coming off the first round by, so I had to do something to address potentially not having him for the semifinals. I flipped uh, uh, Kylan Granson, backup tight end for the Colts, to John for uh, Gardner Minshew. So definitely bargain hunting there for my super flex spot. But if you have hurts and you want to spend a little bit more at, you know, quarterback than say Gardner Minshew, then looking at, you know, some of the quarterbacks that fantasy pros has as viable QB ones rest of the year, Kirk cousins sitting there at 11, Geno Smith sitting there at 12, Goff is sitting at at QB 13 rest of the season, so just missed the cut. I mean, out of those three, Geno and Goff look like really decent, cheap options if you can get them from a team that's already been eliminated, you know, because they're going to be motivated to get those guys off of their roster since they're not really looking like super safe long-term options for their team. Like, yeah, as a contender, this goes back to our conversation from the first half, you'll probably lose some value some minus EV adding these guys just in terms of pure trade value, but they can be, you know, reliable starters. I think for the next two weeks, if you look at keep trade cut right now, apparently Geno Smith could be had for somebody like Calvin Ridley or David Montgomery. I think both of those are fair. Uh, if you're looking to, you know, put your team or address a need given what's happened now with Jalen hurts. Yeah. I'm, I'm completely fine trading Calvin Ridley or David Montgomery for Geno Smith. I think Geno, I, I I think it's pretty likely he loses his job next year in some way or another 
at the same time, I think he's going to get an extension and he's definitely like going to play next year, right? I think so, he's the week one starter. And I think Goff will be too. More than likely, yeah. I mean, they love Jared Goff uh, in Detroit. So I I think that makes sense if you can if you can move a positional player and super flex that that can be a little hard, right? Uh, I, you know, I've tried moving like a Deontay Johnson uh, for, you know, a quarterback in that range over the last few weeks. And a lot of times you can run into a wall there, but that doesn't mean that's the case in your league, right? Let me ask you this, though, because I agree with everything you said. What if you are not in the playoffs? And you are in a non-trade deadline league and you're looking at this as an opportunity to buy Jalen Hurts from somebody who is in the playoffs and just got delivered this gut-wrenching news. Who are the quarterbacks you would trade, given that you're not interested in putting points in your lineup, for Jalen Hurts because you get him next year, right? I'm thinking like Tua, right? Yeah. Would you trade Tua for Jalen Hurts? Would you trade... Justin Herbert for Jalen Hurts, right? Like, give give me where is the line for you? And if you're not worried about points in your lineup right now and you have an opportunity to buy Jalen Hurts, I think you have to value Jalen Hurts over Tua because Tua projects more as like a low end QB one year in, year out than a potential top six option, right? So I'm I'm totally fine with that deal. I think Herbert, it gets a little bit scarier because Herbert was is coming off the number two overall, you know, QB season from a year ago, right? So he has shown the history of being able to put up those top tier numbers at the position. I would, you know, value Hertz only slightly above Herbie at this point. And maybe it's pretty close given the injury situation to Hertz even though he potentially could play this weekend, you know, that's not completely off the table yet. So I'm, I'm fine with that trade. I think it makes sense. I think if you have the opportunity as a non-playoff team to maybe put together a deal around like Trey Lance and a piece or like Dak and a piece or something like that and get you Jalen hurts. You know, I don't know if that either of those are feasible in the context of your league, but being able to move up into that tier is a great option given, you know, the fact that he has now established himself as a clear-cut top-tier tight end or quarterback a, going forward. As a Jalen Hurts manager in two semifinal matchups that I have a really good chance of winning the championship, I would trade Jalen Hurts for Dak Prescott in a in a small piece, right? Because I want to win those championships and I think Dak Prescott is really good. So I I think it's possible. That's right? a great deal what about, for a non-playoff team. What about Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence? If you're a non-playoff team, you have those pieces. Would you bail the playoff team out, give them a Justin Fields or a Trevor Lawrence so that you can get a Jalen Hurts back? So the quick answer is I think Hurts should be valued over those two guys, but mm-hmm. you know, not to the point where you should be giving up a lot to get it done. You know? Like... If you can get it straight up, smash. Mm, yeah, maybe. I mean, you you kind of have the Jalen Hurts manager, you know, you potentially... Yeah, you have the leverage. Right, you've got yeah. the leverage in the situation. So you essentially can, you know, name your price. <laughs> so, I mean, by all means, get greedy with it if you got the opportunity. Love it. Yeah. All right. So depressing, man. <laughs> ah, well, you'll be all right. Uh, God, I mean, I'm a Cowboys fan and Jalen Hurts is like the guy I'm rooting for the most in the NFL this year. So, all right, let's move on to this next topic, the Minnesota miracle, man. And no, I'm not talking about that Stefan Diggs catch and run. I'm talking about the biggest comeback in NFL history. It was almost dwarfed by the World Cup final, but uh, France didn't come back. So the Minnesota miracle remains the comeback of the weekend. And I want to talk about one player on each side of the ball because Kirk Cousins basically first half had zero points and then right. ended up with like 30 points. And then Michael Pittman Jr., who racked up a lot of targets, you know, got a decent amount of yards, didn't find the end zone. I just want to talk about these two players because I think they're both fascinating dynasty players. Kirk Cousins being kind of a serial quarterback producer and Michael Pittman being a target earner who just because of his team context, hasn't gotten it done this year to maybe the expectation that we had for them. So 
without any real structure to this question, Trey, what do you think about Kirk Cousins and Michael Pittman Jr. respectively? So so let's start with Kirk Cousins because we were just talking about quarterbacks here. And, and he's 34 years old and he currently in points per game after this big, you know, 30 plus point weekend, he's up to the QB 11 in points per game on the season. And that is right in line with where he's been the last two years, QB 11 and QB 12 uh, since 2020. So we know who Kirk Cousins is at this point, right? And I don't think the Vikings are likely to make a change going into next year or probably the year after that, right? Like he's reliable, consistent, low-end QB1 numbers as reliable as you can get in the NFL, you know? And I mean, right now he's acquirable for the price of like Geno Smith and a fourth rounder, you know? You could, and and honestly, I mean, what is somebody like Tua Tungavailoa, like, my reputation quarterback, what is his ceiling? You know, like, is his ceiling not like a year in year out, like low end QB one kind of like Kirk cousins. I mean, I, you could argue it's higher given the fact yeah. that he's got Hill he and could Waddle, be, right. Yeah. He could be, you know, more like a drew Brees type or something. Right. But, but yeah, I, I think it's I, closer I hear, to Kirk. I, I think it's closer to Kirk. Yeah. I think it's closer I agree, to Kirk. I and I, I think you could get, you could trade away to a, for like Kirk cousins and like a first at this point, you know, without checking, um, you know, keep trade cut there. So I, I think Kirk has, you know, just come in, punch the clock and done what he does every year. Michael Pittman Jr. Though he is really, really not thriving in, you know, that dumpster fire of a, a Colts offense. But I do want to recognize he is number four on the year in routes run, uh, overall. So that is like some of the highest volume, highest usage out of any wide receiver in the league. And, you know, his target share, top 15, air yard share is actually really low. Like the, he's getting all of his usage on super low A dot, like 6.5 yeah, six, yards. Six and a half yard. Yeah. Right, right. So obviously he's impacted by, you know, the not very good offense around him. 2.3% touchdown rate. So definitely a regression candidate there. I think he's a buy, you know, this, this is like a classic buy low opportunity on a regression candidate. He's currently at wide receiver 25 on keep trade cut. He's going in the same range as guys like Joe Mixon and Najee Harris. And I think, you know, for a contender or a rebuilder, that's a decent buy low opportunity. Yeah, I agree. I I mentioned this uh, in a group chat earlier this week. I I feel like pretty strongly that Michael Pittman would be like a 13 to 1500 yard receiver if he had you know, a a reasonable quarterback. And that's probably a crutch argument, you know, but whatever. At the same time, Michael Pittman is really good, man. Like a 26% target share guy, but because of the offense he's in, he's only backing into the number 21 wide receiver in fantasy points per game. So, you know, I I think I agree with you. He's a buy low. Um, I would be comfortable selling Joe Mixon for him. Uh, I would be comfortable selling like, I don't know, maybe getting like Michael Pittman and a third for a Devontae Smith, right? Somebody in his range, right? Just getting a little bit of profit on top of it. I mean, you're kind of shaking your head. I I mean, I love Devontae Smith too, but I'm just saying like he's kind of one of those tier receivers that you can move somebody in his tier and get something on top. And that's ultimately going to like build the value of your team long-term because he's undervalued. Right. Right. And, and you know, this is one of those things where it, it kind of goes back to our pod from a couple of weeks ago where it's like, okay, what would you have done differently? And, you know, can you factor in situation a little bit more into your evaluation here? Right. Because the Colts might be just as bad next year and without knowing, you know, sort of how that situation is going to shake out, you know, maybe, he is undervalued today with the opportunity for that situation to get better. But if we get through an entire offseason, that situation never gets better. And I've traded away Mixon for Pittman, then, you know, maybe going into the season, I try to find somebody like you and make a deal like that. So anyway, just calling that out there, it's a callback to our, our pod from two weeks ago. But I agree with you, Every, you know, all else considered at the moment, he looks like a buy to me as well. The Colts are definitely going to be on like their sixth starting quarterback in six years or whatever god i don't think i don't think they can afford to stick with matt ryan but it's like at a certain point it's like you almost should just for the sake of consistency like it's gotten ridiculous you know? yeah it's bad it's bad i don't but know but hey they they deserve it after 
Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. So I don't feel bad right. for AD yeah. fans. All right, let's move on to this next topic here. Bijan Robinson. So this is not, you know, a week 15 insight, but it just happened. He declared for the NFL draft. Uh, so that's big news. You know, there was some talk that because of NIL money, he might come back for his senior season at Texas. He made the smart decision. He's going into the NFL. Is he the running back one in Dynasty right now on December 20th, 2022? Yes, yes, yes. And uh, I guess NFL money is uh, bigger than NIL money. But um, no, I'm, I'm okay with the rank. I'm okay with him at RB1. Uh, there's only two other guys that I think are really close to the RB1 or in the conversation. And I think it's Christian McCaffrey and, and Jonathan Taylor, right? So um, CMC, though, I obviously older. 26 years old, right? A little bit older, got some tread on the tires, having a hard time staying healthy for a full season. Uh, Jonathan Taylor... Obviously much younger, but we just talked about the Colts suck. And, you know, JT is going to be coming off some injury issues this year as well. So with Bijan, having never seen him play on the field before, like all three of those guys do have some question marks around them. So I'm happy going with the young guy. I'm happy going with the rookie, you know, who by all accounts is a better prospect than the likes of Jonathan Taylor himself, Saquon Barkley name your favorite, you know, rookie running back of the past 20 years, right? So he could very easily be the RB1 for the next five years, and this could be the cheapest he'll ever be. He will be the running back one pretty soon after the season ends. So you might as well have him as your running back one now. Um, Let me ask you this then, without having gone through your rookie process yet, so maybe this is an impossible question to answer, do you have any initial feelings about Bijan Robinson, the running back, being consensus 101 in Superflex 2023 ranks? No, no, I I think I'm okay with it. Uh, I don't, again, I haven't like dug deep into the quarterbacks in this class, like CJ Stroud or Bryce Young, you know, but neither one of them are looking like can't miss prospects like Trevor Lawrence, you know? So yeah, like even then, like I'm okay with in the first round of a dynasty startup taking you know, the RB one versus a rookie quarterback that we've never seen play a snap before, you know? I mean, I think the way I would think about it in terms of comps is it's basically like what Justin Fields is doing now is probably on like the high end of outcomes for like a Bryce Young or or a CJ Stroud and what Brees Hall was doing in the beginning of the year and how he's held his value after the ACL tear that's probably like the median range of outcomes for Bijan Robinson. Like I, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Right. So I, I think there's more scenarios in which Bijan outvalues the quarterbacks um, than there's not. So that's why I'm fine with it too. Yeah. There's there's a galaxy brain argument as well in the short term about those quarterbacks going to bad situations by the nature of how the NFL draft is you know, structured and Bijan potentially going to a fantastic situation, right? Like the Philadelphia Eagles, I know was the Todd McShay first mock draft that came out, you know, fifth overall pick. So I'm not saying that's going to happen, but there's a galaxy brain argument in there. If you want to like really overthink it, there's no point in overthinking it. I'm fine with him as the one-on-one. I'm fine with him as RB1 today. Like it's, it's the right move. Sounds good. All right. Moving on to our second to last topic here, Justin Herbert. We we talked about him a little bit in the Jalen Hurts section, but he had a really rough day against the Tennessee Titans, and his third season hasn't quite lived up to kind of what we thought it could be, starting to fall slightly on keep trade cut. He's down to quarterback five, so behind Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts. What do you think about Justin Herbert now? Like, would you be looking to buy Justin Herbert in the off season? Or do you think that's like kind of I, like, do you think he's still just going to retain the value that he had last off season? Like I I'm just kind of interested with Justin Herbert, not necessarily putting up the same kind of points that he was at times last year and falling a little bit on keep trade cut value. Where is your head at with Justin Herbert? So this is, maybe counterintuitive, but I think he is a buy low opportunity at the moment, or he presents a buy low opportunity at the moment. But at the same time, I think the quarterback rankings on keep trade cut are a little bit out of whack 
And there's no reason that he should be so much higher than quarterbacks like six, seven, and eight behind him, right? So let, let's dig into that together. So this this Chargers team that he is, this offense that he's leading, it's not good. Like the O-line is questionable. The receivers haven't been great this year. You know, Austin Eckler has been, you know, pretty amazing, but hasn't been quite as efficient as what we've seen in the years past. So I, I do think it's a decent buy low window. Herbert is only 24 years old. He turns 25 next year. Uh, currently QB 12 in points per game in a down year. And like I said earlier, you know, coming off the QB two season from a year ago, I do think the efficiency will get better. I think they'll probably bring in a new offensive coordinator. I think they'll bring in some more talent around him, whether it's, you know, skill players or O-line. I think he bounces back. But like I said, with the QB ranks, like, what's the argument for Herbert over a guy like Justin Fields, who's currently the QB five in points per game and arguably in a worse situation, right? Like arguably both of their situations have like, if anybody has more room for their situation to improve, it's Fields and not Herbert, right? Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. I, I hadn't really thought about it like that. Like the way I framed the question was a little bit leading and like, I think Justin Herbert's is probably a buy right now, but yeah, Thinking it on the other side, like selling Justin Herberts for fields and a significant piece, which is, you know, what the keep trade cut rankings indicate. Um, I'm completely fine with that. And, and and let's be really dumb here, right? Like QB two last year, QB 12 this year, he probably ends up somewhere in the middle, right? Justin Fields is already there, right? And we think like Justin Fields is going to improve on this season because, you know, they're going to get more talent into Chicago. Like they're going to add pieces around him. So he's going to progress as a player. He's going to progress he's as a already, player. Right. He's already shown flashes of being a really good NFL player. So, so there's other quarterbacks in that range, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Lamar Jackson. Uh, I think they should all be ranked closer together, like QB five through QB eight. Like, I don't think they should be as spread out as they are right now in the ranks because there's, there's room for all of them to improve on, you know, the, the season that we just saw. And I think Herbert probably kind of ends up in that middle of the QB one range, like, you know, QB six, QB seven. And I think some of these other guys potentially have higher upside. Fair enough. All right. Moving on to our last topic here of the podcast. I'm interested to talk about the Dallas backfield. And, you know, I don't think we've really talked about Tony Pollard a lot this season. And I mean, he's an established running back one in points per game this year. Yeah. He's having that Alvin Kamara with Mark Ingram type of year by playing about 50% of the snaps, getting extremely high value touches, and obviously making the most of them because he's a fucking phenomenal athlete. So what do we think about Tony Pollard and for that matter, Ezekiel Elliott as dynasty assets? And, you know, as a part B to that question. Do you think there's other backfields that you're watching for with this kind of situation that could potentially play out? So just looking at the Cowboys right now, first off, I want to give some props to 2017 Camara and Ingram because that was running back four and running back eight on the season that year, <laughs> which was nuts. Like that's not what we're getting with Pollard and Zeke this year. Pollard is RB eight on the year in points per game. Zeke is RB 17. And honestly, that's better than I expected for Ezekiel Elliott. But Trey, Sean, Sean Payton is kind of an asshole, but I miss him. Oh, dude. Man. That, that, guy, that guy could call a fucking offense. He knows how to run an offense and uh, he can come to Dallas anytime he wants. But uh, yes, look, Alvin Kamara, his first two years in the league, 19 and a half points per game, 23.2 points per game. Tony Pollard this season is at 16.6. So that is at best Kamara light, you know? <laughs> it's not full flavor Camara. That's Camara light, right? So um, I, I say all that, but Tony Pollard right now is running back 13 on keep trade cut. And we're looking at Zeke potentially not being re-signed, being a cap casualty in the off season. And if that happens, there is room for Pollard to take a big step forward in that offense and take more on than 50%. He's going to have to get a contract. He's going to have to get a contract, but... You know, I think the the there's a strong argument that he's undervalued at running back 13. And there's guys in that range like um, George Pickens, who I've talked about as a sell in the past. You can do Pickens for Pollard straight up. I don't think that's that crazy. 
Easy. Gabe yeah. Davis. Give me Pollard. A, Gabe Davis in a future second. We'll get you Tony Pollard right now. You know, oh, I'm not, God. you know, I'm not a Gabe Davis truther. So, you know, that's a smash buy for me. And, and yeah, I mean, Zeke is clearly dust. Like he is getting that work because of the contract, because of the trust that Jerry Jones has in him. Like, it's not because of what he's putting on the field, you know, like he, yes, he's RB 17, but he is like outside the top 36 in like every single efficiency category, like pick your efficiency category, you know, yards per touch, rushing yards over expectation, what have you. Right. So if, if you can use this as an opportunity to sell him for anything, you know, obviously you do it. Um, you can get uh, David Njoku and tight end premium uh, straight up for Zeke right now. I like that. Uh, Darnell Mooney, you know, we mentioned reasons to believe the Chicago offense will be better next year. Like even if Zeke comes back next year on some kind of reworked contract deal for Dallas, like I think that this RB 17 that we're seeing this year is his absolute ceiling. And yeah. that type of like running back to production is not going to win your, your league. Right. So sell it if you can, you know? Yeah, I think you can definitely see a scenario in which Zeke either is a cap casualty and he signs somewhere else or he gets kind of a restructured contract. Right. And people are going to start talking about him as a buy. Uh, and that is something you need to be weary of. It's like <laughs> kind of echoes of that Todd Gurley situation, yeah. right? Like Stay once away. Todd Gurley you know, kind of declined, went to a different situation. People talking about him as a buy. He even started out in Atlanta with a lot of touchdowns and then just disappeared. Yeah. Because so, there, he's dust. So, so you asked about other backfield situations that, you know, are kind of similar to this. And I think the obvious one that comes to mind is Chicago, right? Because you've yes. got David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert, who was just reactivated off the IR today or eligible to you know come off the IR today. I don't know if he's actually yeah, he's, a, he's expected to play this weekend against Buffalo. Beautiful, beautiful. So, you know, Monty doesn't have a contract for next year either, you know? So honestly, given the way like the history of Zeke in Dallas and like that relationship with Jerry Jones, I almost think it's more likely Zeke comes back to Dallas than Monty, you know, comes back to Chicago, you know? So if anybody has got a big jump in value coming next year, it's Khalil Herbert. Yeah, I mean, that's the first situation I thought of, like Khalil Herbert, clearly kind of when you watch them play, the more explosive, more efficient running back than David Montgomery, who has kind of like Zeke, but to a much less degree, like earned the trust of his team, you know, getting those carries despite, you know, what we see on tape and what we see in the efficiency metrics. Yeah, I mean, Khalil Herbert is a guy that I think you're going to want to buy early in the offseason and just make that bet. Yeah. Um, he's not necessarily going to be cheap, but I don't think he's going to be expensive. And the upside is Pollard-esque. And the the downside risk is like a viable flex player, you know, week in, week out. Yeah. Week out so. For sure. For sure. All right. I love it. I mean, you know, uh, thinking about other situations, possibly. Uh, Detroit. Yeah, D Detroit is interesting. I think DeAndre Swift will probably continue to lose some value over the over the last few weeks of the season and probably see him become a value. Wouldn't be surprised if Jamal Williams got re-signed in Detroit after kind of Agreed. You know. He's he's like David Montgomery except cheaper probably <laughs> and, on and the less market. Efficient. Yeah, it's but for some reason, I don't know. Maybe this is all like a crutch narrative but i feel like it's more likely that jamal williams is in detroit next year than montgomery is in chicago no i agree right? yeah so yeah uh deandre swift could be a target I i'm thinking like philadelphia i don't know like uh, there's there's kenny gainwell there I don't, he's not the same kind of talent as a khalil herbert yeah, or a tony pollard nobody, but nobody's really stepped up yet as like the rb2 you know like her uh yeah. Gainwell, uh, Boston Scott, you know, like nobody's really stepped up and, and shown that they're, you know, reliable. The other situation that um, came to mind was the Green Bay Packers. So Aaron yeah. Jones and AJ Dillon, what's going to happen there this offseason? I think we were a little bit surprised when Aaron Jones re-signed in Green Bay last year. Uh, I don't know. They're going to have to make some changes in that offense because whatever they tried doing this year was not working. I was thinking about this yesterday as AJ Dillon was getting the bulk of the carries against um, the Rams last night on Monday night football. Yeah. Like 
maybe we should have been a little bit more prepared for, hey, once the cold weather comes around, A.J. Dillon's going to start getting more work, right? Because I, I think A.J. Dillon for a long period of time, for like a couple months, and, and we brought this up on the show once or twice, he lost a lot of value because oh, Aaron for Jones sure. was getting a lot of the work. And But A.J. Dillon, you know, he still remained like a solid running back, pretty pretty good with his touches, right? But just wasn't getting as much of them. It seems like that whole Yeti narrative of it's getting cold, they're going to start giving the ball to Dylan more, is playing out. And if it continues to be the Aaron Jones, AJ Dylan show next year, maybe this is a, a, a trend we should track. You know, sometimes the obvious answer is the right answer, right? So it seems like almost too obvious. Like it seems like like almost too easy, but you know, maybe maybe it's real. AJ Dillon and the Yeti narrative. Keep an eye on that in yeah. 2023, folks. All right, that's going to do it for episode 77 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. Appreciate y'all hanging with us. We're going to be off for a few weeks here coming up. We might be able to get an episode in next week. Uh, I'm going to see if on, you know, the 26th or 27th, we can put one together. But, you know, if we don't see y'all uh, until 2023, hope everybody has a happy holidays and uh, enjoys their dynasty playoffs good luck out there guys no, I-